Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hello, welcome to episode six in season two of CRE Success, the podcast. My name is Darren Krakowiak, and today I've got a great guest named Michael Field, who is an expert in competitive strategy for business to business organizations. And he runs a consultant firm called Evette Field, and he is the field part of that, obviously. And I thought that it would be great to have him on the podcast to talk about how to analyze a market opportunity. So if you've ever thought about moving into a new market, moving into a new geography, changing sectors, or if you've recently done that and you'd like to improve your market penetration, this is an excellent episode for you to listen to. Don't waste hours doing the wrong type of research. Don't spend lots of dollars on an expensive consultant. Instead, listen to this episode. Michael's going to be giving away lots of secrets about how to competitively analyze a market today here on CRE Success, the podcast. And of course, once you do get into a new marketplace, you then need to start prospecting for new potential clients. And I've got a great way to help you find new customers in markets. It is the A to Z of CRE prospecting. If you'd like to get your hands on that, just go to CREsuccess.co forward slash ABC, ABC like the alphabet. And if you're sick of prospecting the same old way, you'll find 26 ideas on how you can refresh the way that you look for new clients. That is CREsuccess.co forward slash ABC. It's absolutely free and it's available for you right now. I'll be speaking to Michael Field in 30 seconds. Now the world of work has changed, everyone's looking for new ways to add flexible working into their plans and portfolios. Hub Australia is the national expert in premium flexible workspaces that offer five-star hospitality service. Hub Australia is already partnering with leading developers, Brookfield and Amalgamated Property Group to deliver the future of work for their tenants. Head to hubaustralia.com to learn more about Australia's leading flexible work workspace experts. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Michael, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you very much for having me today. It's my pleasure. Michael, at the start of every interview, I always ask our guests to step into the virtual elevator and to deliver their elevator pitch. So Michael, who are you? My name is Michael Field from Everett Field Partners. We work with business owners and leaders of mid-sized B2B and industrial organisations in Australia and New Zealand, and we help them to develop their competitive strategy based on evidence, not assumptions. Awesome. Love that. Perfect elevator pitch. I feel like we're getting off on the right floor. I appreciate you being here. I thought having you on would be really helpful for our listeners to learn how to analyse new markets they might be entering or how to get a better understanding of a market they're already operating in. And this could be relevant when people are relocating geographies or when they're changing sector specializations. So before we get into how we can help our listeners analyze a market, I think one thing that would be useful to know is how can a commercial real estate professional, in your opinion, identify a growing company or a growing industry or ones that are poised for growth? Because I think that creates real opportunities for our industry. So how would you advise us to be on the lookout for these growing companies or industries? 
Yeah, look, it's a really good question. There's a lot of macro market information available. So all of the major players and market participants publish data around the industry and around growing parts of the industry, but that doesn't give you the detail of which companies specifically are growing within that industry. So for example, in industrial or manufacturing, if you're looking at sort of industrial real estate, understanding which are the specific industries within that that are doing well and which specific companies are doing well, I think you have to be more creative as to where you find the research because I don't think you're going to get that from macro market information that's available to everybody. And I think that's another challenge that the fact that it is available to everybody means everybody's hunting in the same neck of the woods. So for me, I think that a big part of that is actually having a very, very well-developed network and understanding where you can get that market data from. So one of the things that we recommend people do is to actually map their customer journey. And what I mean by that is who is everybody they're likely to be talking to before they need your services? So are they talking to their lawyer, their accountant? Are they talking to somebody who provides finance for capital equipment? Are they talking to the council? Are they talking to an architect? Who is it that is in front of you having that conversation with your customer? And how can you build meaningful, two-way, mutually beneficial relationships with those people so you get much more informed, live data from the market? And it's likely to be uncontested by your competitors if they haven't put the same effort into building those relationships. Really good tip. I think a lot of industries use commercial real estate professionals as a source of information. So for example, project managers who are looking to design and fit out office spaces often want to speak to commercial real estate professionals about which tenants are moving and which tenants are likely to be doing something in that area. But therefore, we need to find out who are they speaking to before they're speaking to us so we can start to get that information as well. That's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, every market has lead and lag indicators. So what you mentioned is absolutely right. For example, a commercial lease activity, that would be a lead indicator for office furniture, fit outs, removalists, trade services. So there'd be a whole range of people who are probably already leaning on the commercial real estate agent to try and access that information. And I think that the commercial real estate agent is well served by saying, well, I'm going to adopt that same strategy. So they may be even talking to recruiters or HR specialists, if they're expanding their team. So we work with quite a few high growth businesses and long before the property transaction side of things is done. They're thinking about plant and equipment. They're thinking about people. They're thinking about how they're going to build out that capability. They're even thinking about how they're going to grow their customer base and their revenue to ensure that their expansion is viable. So there's a really valid argument to say that digging deep into building those relationships with the people who are lead indicators for you is actually a really valuable both marketing and sales investment. Right. And I was going to say, actually, it's not only about the relationships that you can build with those people who are speaking to your perfect ideal customer before you're speaking to them or before they need your services, but it might also be an opportunity to get in front of them through advertising. For example, if there are places that they're typically going and looking that you might be able to create some brand awareness before your competitors are, if you're aware of the types of activities they're 
by taking in before they make a real estate decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I think that it requires some sort of careful thought and consideration as to how exactly that plays out. But I was thinking about some of the other conversations you and I have had on this and I'm looking at it and say, well, one of the ways that I would identify a growth business, so businesses that are growing, is I would be looking at employment ads in the categories that of the job types for the people that my customers would be employing. And I'd be looking at who's advertising for staff. And I'd be reading those ads and saying, are they looking for sales managers to lead expansions in territories and these sorts of things? And that would give me a really good lead indicator that there's opportunities in terms of property requirements for that customer. Yeah, very good. And this is not an advertisement for LinkedIn, but LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a fantastic way. You can search by company size and in terms of how much change the company's had in number of employees. And also you can just look at job advertisements. And like you said, so there are a lot of ways that people can get a little bit creative and find this information. Definitely. Uh, Let's talk about competitive strategy then. One of the core components of your business is delivering a competitive strategy. So what is it that a commercial real estate professional should look at when they're entering or looking to expand their reach in a market or a sector? Like where should somebody start when it comes to assessing a market? Sure. I think that one of the big challenges in developing a competitive strategy is actually having a legitimate defensible point of difference in what you do and how you do it. And I do think that there are some challenges in that at the moment, particularly for smaller players. If you look at the changing market conditions in a sort of post-COVID environment, customers are kind of looking for somebody who can provide more services rather than them splitting their services across a whole range of different service providers. So I think that creates some challenges for the smaller players. The competitive strategy has to be about why should your customer choose you given all of the options available to them in the market? So why should they choose you? And to the extent possible, we encourage customers to, first of all, answer that question just straight off the bat, what do you do differently or better than your competitors that your customers would care so deeply about they'd be prepared to pay a premium? And then we typically get answers like people, service, experience, these sorts of things. And then we give them a list of words that they must exclude in their answer because then they have to dig past the things that they routinely rely on, like saying, well, it's our people, it's our experience, it's our service levels. And the reason those things are not competitively different is because if you look at the two to three closest competitors' websites, I promise you they'll all be saying exactly the same thing. It's our people, it's our service, it's our experience, it's our knowledge. So you have to dig further than those standard things Because to me, they're just table stakes. That's just the minimum entry to even have the conversation with the customer. For example, picking up on what we said about earlier, if you really invested in developing the network both ways, so who is everybody my customer would be talking to before they need my services, but who's everybody my customer would need to talk to after they've used my services, then you become a really valuable chain in that ecosystem. You become a highly valued supplier and referrer of information to your customer. Now, to me, that's actually more of a competitive difference than saying that you've got good service because I think that any customer, any prospective customer of commercial real estate, 
agent expects good service. They expect you to have knowledge. They expect you to providing a quality experience. So those are the sorts of things that I think about when I think about competitive strategies is how can you actually build something that is different and better than your competitors that takes more time. It might be harder to build. You have to invest in it, but it gives you a much more defensible position when it comes down to a customer having to choose between two providers. Very interesting. I think that in our industry, from the company's point of view, they're the types of things that they're trying to achieve. But from the individual's point of view, the individual, I think, would often say, well, the reason or the differentiator is me. And it's the relationship that I have. And obviously, from the company's point of view, well, people can leave firms and they can take the relationship that they have with them. But for an individual to sort of run that scenario, is it acceptable, in your opinion, for them to say, well, I've got the best relationships? Or is that one of the words that you would ask them to eliminate when they're really trying to understand and do a competitive strategy in their market? I think that if they can prove that, I think if there are ways that they can evidence that outside of it just being a statement of claim sort of thing, I think that that has got some potency and power. But I think if I look at the sorts of activities that you're doing on Clubhouse and those sorts of things and actually using amplification, magnification tools to extend that message and create that proof point that in fact you do have those relationships, I think it's a powerful thing if you can prove it. I think that it probably lacks a little bit of potency if it's just a statement. Okay. One of the areas where you are well-equipped to help your clients is with defining the ideal customer. And we mentioned that word before. I think in commercial real estate, sometimes we think that anyone occupying or investing in real estate in the sector or the geography we cover is an ideal customer. So how do you recommend that we should be defining who our ideal customer is? Sure. I do think it varies from business to business and individual to individual, but this we recommend that a customer actually works out a criteria for what makes an ideal customer. And that can include things like level of difficulty to deal with. That can include things like whether or not they pay promptly. <laughs> but in terms of actually identifying the customer, it's probably about fitting your core capabilities as a service provider to that key customer's needs. So for example, if you've got a real specialization in being able to identify commercial space for insurance offices or phone rooms or for mid-sized ad agencies or whatever it is, I think that then being able to pick out the areas where you say, we actually do this really well because we understand the needs of that customer type. To me, this is an interesting discussion because you were right. You need to be able to service whoever needs the service. But I think that being able to build specialization and really understanding their needs, I had a look at how revenue is generated in the commercial real estate industry prior to this conversation today. And it's a $1.5 billion revenue industry, but the single largest earner, as in a single service line, is actually consulting that represents sort of 30% of the revenue. So I look at that and say, well, that's customers who have got very specific needs. They need something solved. They don't have the expertise and capability to do it themselves. How could I identify the thing that I really know a lot about? And how can I identify customers who've got that specific need 
And in the first instance, in terms of how I spend my marketing dollars, I'm going to target those people. That doesn't mean you'll turn other people away. But what it means is in terms of active outbound and dollars spent, you're going to direct your efforts at the area where you're most likely to get higher conversions and a satisfied customer. Previously, you had a thought about ideal customer and you mentioned like a couple of criteria that one can think about when it comes to defining who the ideal customer is. And it is more than just someone who's got an ability to transact in your market. It could be, like you said, how good it is to deal with them, their ability to pay, their ability to stick to your contract terms, to fund a marketing campaign, to make a decision. There are a lot more things to consider than just the fact that they do exist in the market in which you operate. And I think it's a two-way street. Can you service them, but also do you want to service them and do they want to be serviced by you? We have defined that for our business and the high level summary is that there's three criteria one is that they have a committed leadership team and we've gone as far to break that down into specifically what we mean by that so that's an ideal customer for us that they've got a series of attributes as displayed by their leadership team that they have aggressive growth targets and that they commit to a deadline when they want to achieve that and that gives us confidence that they're going to be willing and able to do the things necessary for us to optimize the contribution that we can make to them. So in terms of the scoping conversation with a customer, we actually probably spend at least the first 30 minutes going through that with them to make sure that there's a really good fit for us because it's much better for us to be servicing the right customer than any customer. And it's not only better for us, but it's actually better for the customer. And I think when you're clear on who you want to attract, you are more likely to attract the right customer, but you also repel the customers that aren't a good match, which saves you time and gets you closer to achieving your business goals and achieving your targets and everything else that you want to do. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, let's talk about strategies to break into new markets. And we talked a little bit before about the customer journey and how we want to understand who it is that our customers are speaking to before they speak to us. But let's talk about building up a presence establishing credibility, initiating conversations, and then hopefully converting those conversations into business opportunities. Because I think in our industry, that's a real sort of, you can think of the customer journey, but then we think about it as a pipeline and how do we advance a customer through a pipeline. So what are some of the ways that you advise your clients as they are entering markets to build a pipeline and then to advance their opportunities towards being revenue generating opportunities? Sure. The first is, and you've touched on it, is that there is a customer buying cycle. There is a buyer journey. And our data tells us that really at any one time, there's probably only 5% of your prospective customers who are in that buying drop zone. So the largest part of your market is actually not ready to buy today. So there's 95% of your customers who have either just concluded a transaction, so they're not in the market today, or there's somewhere down that awareness, education, preference stage of that buyer journey. And I think it's really important to think about the fact that when creating, say, marketing content, you actually need to create marketing content that is directly targeted at each stage of the buyer journey. So we break that into six categories. So firstly, awareness. They may or may not be aware of you or aware that they've got a problem. Secondly, education, help them understand what their options are and what they might need to know. Thirdly, 
build preference. How do they build preference towards your brand? Finally, of course, purchase. We want them to do business with you. Then hopefully repeat business so they continue with you. And then finally, they will become a referrer or an advocate. And given that 95% of your customers are somewhere other than in the purchase stage, I think it's important to create meaningful information that you readily share in the market for each stage of that buyer journey. The intention of that content is, as you said, is to move them smoothly to the next stage or further down the funnel, further along the buyer journey. But importantly, I think that you need to look at it like you're leaving a whole series of breadcrumbs and the customer experience should be that it's like a choose your own adventure, that they're actually saying that was really interesting. Oh, there's a link to a video. I might watch that video. They watch the video, they get maybe a follow-up email that's automated from HubSpot or whatever system you're using. And I think that the way you want to do it intelligently is to surround that custom with the choice for them to be able to continue to consume that information while they're building preference towards you. And that's a real point of difference because unfortunately, most businesses go out and they just target people with the purchase. We're looking for people who are ready to do this. We're looking for people who want to acquire a property or lease a property or whatever that may be. And it's like, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens before they're ready to do that. And you've got to help them there because that's actually where they'll build their preference. Some interesting data that we came across in a research piece a couple of years ago, and although it was for a different product, 80% of the customers in this particular research piece actually selected the first vendor that they dealt with, providing that vendor met all of their expectations as a customer. So if it was an unsatisfactory occurrence, then of course, no. But the first one that they started looking at and thinking about providing their needs were met, 80% of them actually went back and said, well, we're going to go with that one. So I think that that's something we think about. It might not be universally true across all categories, but it's certainly one that's worth thinking about. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think Not only do we need to create content which is relevant at whatever stage the buyer is at, but we also need to try and create content that resonates. And having a value proposition that resonates is another way in which you help your clients. Can you just give me a couple of ideas on how it is that we can make sure that the value that we're offering our potential clients is something that cuts through a lot of the marketing noise that exists in the marketplace? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Value propositions are an interesting beast because we look at it through a lens of segmented value propositions. So in any sort of transaction that your listeners might be doing with one of their customers, although there might be one or two key people that they're dealing with, there's quite a few people in that, what we refer to as the invisible buying committee. There's other people inside that organization who are going to have specific needs about who they choose, where they move, why they move, what that might be. So what we look at is to say, how do we understand from a company perspective, the prospective customer's company, who's everybody inside that organization who might have an opinion on this or the capacity to influence this purchase decision? What is the specific information that they need and only that? And how do you then create content which is geared towards creating a value proposition just for them? And then finding marketing ways, and you mentioned LinkedIn earlier, LinkedIn's fantastic because you can target people by job title. For example, 
there are going to be people in HR who have very specific things on their mind around what sort of property they move into, or there's going to be people in operations, there's going to be people in OH&S and all these other areas who are going to have specific views. And I think that for me, value propositions are no longer just a big sort of overarching statement to say, we're all of these things and we can satisfy you. You actually have to break that down to key buyers and key influencers and then create custom value propositions that should be the lodestone. They should be the true north for your content stream to those people with your marketing efforts. Well, I think you've just created a lot of work for people listening. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's not easy, but it's worth it, right? This is how you grow disproportionately high revenue margin and market share, as opposed to defaulting to the sort of standard claims and saying, we win one in three or whatever that may be. We figure that if you're winning one in three, you're just on that sort of the merry-go-round and there's got to be a way that you can increase that conversion rate. And if you increase your conversion rate, you increase your market share against your competitors and that's got to be worth doing. That's an appeal to the competitive spirit of commercial real estate. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Speaking of competitive spirit, you are getting into the corporate boxing challenge. Before we wrap up, I'd love to hear what it is and why you got involved. Certainly. Thank you. Well, I train with a fellow by the name of Ben Saver. He's a professional welterweight boxer. He and his partner, Viviana. Viviana is actually, she was a silver medalist for the Commonwealth Games trial and a silver medalist for Olympic qualifiers. They are putting on a corporate boxing challenge and it's designed for people who may have never boxed before in their life or, or they might have flirted with the idea and done some boxercise and gym work or something like that. So it's often referred to as white collar boxing or corporate boxing. It gives anybody, male, female, any age, any fitness level, an opportunity to learn the very fine art of boxing, sort of a 12-week training camp. You'll be the fittest that you've ever been in your life. And at the end of it, there's a black tie affair that's going to be at a Dalton house in Jones Street Wharf there. And it's like a big black tie affair. And it's just a wonderful night. They always match it with a charity. The last fight night I did was for the Starlight Foundation. I don't think they've finalized the charity for this particular one, but it's a charity fight night. You go and get to do three two-minute rounds with somebody who's equally matched to you. It's the night of your life. It's the fight of your life. It's fantastic. And it's black tie fight. So people are dressed in bow ties <laughs> watching you That's half exactly naked right. fighting someone. That is exactly right. The room is full of people in their ball gowns and black tie. It's a fully sort of catered event of inclusive drinks package. And it's a big, a big affair. And it's absolutely a fantastic night out. And for the people who get to go into the ring, most of the ones who I've spoken to have done these sorts of things in the past. They just say it was one of the sort of most exciting and challenging things they've ever done, but they loved every minute of it. And many people actually stay on and continue to box. Well, good luck with that. Michael, for our listeners who want to get in touch or to continue following your content, how can they do that? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. So either search my name, Michael Field or Everett Field Partners on LinkedIn or go to our website, www.evettfield.com. Michael, it's been an informative chat. I appreciate you taking the time to share some of your ideas with us today. Thank you so much for being my guest on CRE Success, the podcast. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me today. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael. 
I want to tell you something now about CRE Success membership. You may have heard a little bit about it. I've actually closed the membership. Well, I've closed it so I can reopen it again. Let me explain. I opened CRE Success membership in December 2020 and we've welcomed in founding members. And founding members are the first people to join a membership like CRE Success membership. About 20 people in there now, eight different countries are represented. And I've been working with these founding members to refine the process, get the delivery model right, and also build up some content. So we've now got a really great, compelling offering to offer to more people. So I'm going to be relaunching CRE Success membership in June 2021. It's going to be available to people in my broader network. And I want to invite more people, but only twice a year. So we'll only open up the doors twice a year. It means that at other times of the year, I can be completely focused on doing things like serving members and helping them advance in their careers in the way that they're looking for support, whether it be in terms of creating more deal flow, creating a bigger impact in their marketplace, enhancing their personal brand, just having more time for what it is that's important to them. If that sounds like it could be interesting to you, then you can register your interest by going to CREsuccess.co forward slash membership. That's CREsuccess.co forward slash membership. And just let us know that you'd like to be the first to know when we reopen the doors to CRE Success membership. Thanks so much for listening today and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at CREsuccess.co. 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. Credia is a business intelligence and analytics tool for commercial real estate professionals. Using real-time insights, track key portfolio metrics and benchmark against the market so you can make faster and well-informed decisions. With live dashboards and bespoke reporting, impress both your executive team and your property clients. It's time to turn data into your most valuable asset with Credia from Released.